Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode three of the 24 Stories podcast. Thanks again for all the feedback. Brilliant response to Maeve's interview from Love Cherish last week. I think it was very relatable for so many people. Got lots of messages about it and people loved her backstory and what she has done for Marymount Hospice as well. So I think it was a fantastic interview. Just on that, a big thanks once again to iTrolley for coming on board to sponsor this episode. iTrolley, based on Little Island, they offer thousands of products and loads of services and you can catch them on iTrolley.ie. This week, things are going to get a bit cooler around here, pardon the pun. We're going down a different route and I'm glad that I've managed to catch a very, very busy man who's just about to launch something really exciting in Cork. I have Bill Kremen from Cool Runnings Events. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you. So, Bill, the first time I came across ye guys was an event actually down in Forta and it was called Forta on Ice. I'm guessing that was around the early 2000s. Was that the starting point for Cool Running? Yes and no. So we didn't actually get going with our own event in Cork until 2007, by which stage Forta had come and gone as an event. We built our business, I suppose, on the back of the success that was Forta at that time. So there was always a bit of confusion that people automatically yeah. said that it was ye that had moved to... No. Mahan Point, and it was never no. here at the time. No, no. So we actually started off in Little Island. Okay. Um, so I was sitting there in my car, a bit depressed one night, wondering what we would do, um, because we had a previous business which had just kind of gone into the morgue, okay. and um, I was looking and said, "What do we? What are we going to do?" I kind of remembered Forta and. We had a business called Skids for Kids, which was a kind of a artificial skating rink. I looked over at the back of the Radisson Hotel and there was a marquee there and there was a pharmaceutical show. Yeah. And I just thought, and this was about the 23rd of September 2007, I wonder would it be possible to put an ice rink in, in a tent? In September for that year? For that year. No, desperation yeah. makes things happen yes. sometimes, right? So. We had nothing. I lost a lot of money on different things. I was like, probably people would say I'm a fierce gambler. And sometimes gambles don't come off. And um, so I went home to my wife and said, look, you know, we're in a pickle here. What do you think of this? So I can sell, right? So I sold the idea to my wife, right? And she thought it was a possibility. Then I went and saw my sister. She thought it was a possibility. Then I said, how are we going to fund it? Mm. And um, that was a problem. So my sister gave me some money. I had nothing to put in the pot. And then I was telling my mother-in-law, like mother-in-laws get a lot of bad press, right? Yeah. Um, this one, I'm giving her great press. She's now, fantastic. Gorgeous mother. Well, she gave me the seed capital to start off Cork and Ice in 2007, for which I will be forever grateful. Thankfully, she's still going strong. If we have any success, she t- takes uh, great pleasure in it. But she was the person who made it all happen. And it can be a risk getting family involved in, in starting up an enterprise like that. When your back is against the wall mm. and you are looking for things that are just going to get you through. And if this didn't work out, our house was gone. We would have had to have sold the house to pay the, the loans back to the family. Could never live it down. We hadn't done that. But we had a little bit of equity in the house, but there wouldn't have been time to raise that equity yeah. between September and um, November when we, were going to get, when we were going to get going. And in any case, right, I don't think a bank would touch me at the time. So bank of the mother-in-law, bank of sister, bank of brother-in-law, and they all came together and uh, gave me the trust. That's how we got going. And how did you get the word out then that you were actually opening up at, at that stage? Because yeah. I'd imagine you're getting the investment mm-hmm. in the next thing you think, well, how do we get the people in here now? I went out to meet uh, Grainne and the team out in Red, who you yeah. know well, and pitched this idea to them. Said, look, we need a media partner. Yeah. And then a kind of um, advertising agencies kind of give you credit. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and uh, we got a bit of credit from them. And uh, we used it for billboards and we yeah. used it for buses and we used it for radio and uh, media partnerships always come with a price, as you know. Um, lots and of free tickets, I'd imagine. Lots of, lots of free tickets. But in fairness, um, we got great support locally. And um, again, people probably remembered um, Bota um, and the success that that was. And there hadn't been anything in Cork like it for a good few years. So the appetite was right. And um, so we opened up down in Eastgate on 2007. Yeah. And we were just inundated. 
uh, with customers, um, but we didn't have any systems for even counting how many customers we had. We just saw the cash coming in, like yeah. it was great. And then we kind of said, "Well, oh, Jesus, we better lodge that because there's a payment due to the UK, and there's not the, you know payments due here, there, and everywhere." Um, so the the feeling of being like cash rich was very short lived. But even a short lived feeling of cash richness is better than any no feeling of it. Yeah. You know, if you look at it that way, so I suppose there was no pre booking. So was there no, online? We, wasn't massive at that no, stage. No, it wasn't. No, like you could buy online but really people weren't buying on their phones Um, but there was a certain amount it was nearly a novelty when somebody came in with an online booking you know Um, like for the last couple of years we're nearly probably 80% and this year with the event this year we'll be at 100% 100%. because for obvious reasons Uh, but back then there wasn't so like we never knew from uh, hour to hour how many people were going to turn up for the next session you know and would you have to turn people away then in those early days like on a Friday and Saturday or something yeah I'd probably end up just buying somebody a coffee and and sitting down with them and saying wait or if there was a family you'd kind of you'd always find a way of um, managing people and if you've got to send them over to a restaurant across the road for something like but I hate turning customers away but um, so I would never do that without kind of giving them hope that if you come back I'll have the tickets here for you we'll sort you out that gamble that you had going into 2007, I'm guessing it paid off that you could continue into 2008. Yeah, so we generated a lot of turnover. Okay. You know, a bit of momentum. But I suppose, you know, the most important thing it gave me at that time, right? I mean, six months before I started Cork and Ice, like I was turned on uh, for a job by the Yellow Pages, right? Oh. Selling advertising because I had nothing. I'd come from being, I suppose, having, you know, a lot of success very young to kind of gambling on, on, I wouldn't, not gambling well, as in horses, right? But taking a lot of risks. So I took a lot of risks around the dot-com time. Okay. They didn't pay off. I think probably um, I joined a company, a car-based company that was um, at one stage as a vice president of sales. No, sorry, vice president of global sales. And uh, I got shares at the time worth six million or something like that, right? But like toilet paper was more valuable after the toilet, oh. after, after after the bust, right? So like effectively... The dot-com burst is Yeah, so time, people, yeah. a lot of people won't remember it, but like it was probably... There was a real bubble around mm. 2000 and well, 98 to 2002. Yeah. And um, yeah, and there was a lot of people chasing like IPOs and, um, you know, coming up with ideas that like never a business model, but the prospect of great wealth in the future through a launch of a stock exchange. So I'd kind of come through that and was trying to find myself again. Yes. And I suppose really trying to get a job after being self-employed and a kind of an entrepreneur for so long was like very difficult. I remember sitting across the room from a guy who was probably 10 years younger than me and I was probably in my mid early 40s at this stage and uh, said, look, please give me this job. And um, I didn't didn't make the grade for the Golden Pages that time. That must have felt awful when that happened because you must feel like, here I am in my mid 40s, where next? Yeah, 100%. Like it's an awful time of your life because a lot of your peers at that age are well settled in Mm -hmm. their careers, you know. They can see retirement, maybe not quite at 44, but they're certainly on the road. And for me, the feeling like that you're starting again in your in your early 40s uh, or even mid 40s, it was just like, how am I going to climb this mountain? So I'm guessing the ice rink or the synthetic ice rink was a skids for kids. Was that not a success? Or? That was a great success. Was it? Right. So like we were in North Main Street yeah. um, above the old shopping centre there. Like, great location to launch something, but probably not a great location to grow something. Um, and I remember the day we opened, we were just inundated with people. And uh, Bishop Buckley came in and he blessed it. And we had, like, we had a rip-roaring three months, you know. Yeah. Then, I suppose, gradually it started to less, less, less. But it was a fantastic business. Um, and, I mean, the premise behind it was high-impact exercise for kids, get them to sit down to some good food afterwards that wasn't like the burger and chips uh, we got Claude McKenna to design a great menu that kids would eat and then we had a, a bottled water sponsor rather than a carbonated drink oh. sponsor and like enjoy the feeling that you're kind of you're doing business but you're yeah. still on a kind of a mission you know it was nearly ahead of its time I'd say was it in terms of that healthy eating those type of food initiatives which are very popular now yeah. but back then wouldn't have been no but I think we were probably you're right Ahead of its time or too early is another way of saying that, you know. Yes. <laughs> when you're too early sometimes, yeah. So it faded out after a while. Was it the yeah. fact that the shopping centre was also kind of fading? Yeah, there was a lot of that. And trying to generate it and trying to create a destination is always a challenge uh, and takes an awful lot more money. Whereas if you've got, um, if you're in a, a high footfall location, for example, we've worked in Dundrum Town Centre, we've worked in Mahan, and uh, we've worked in Blanchardstown Centre in Dublin, yeah. like 
you don't have to worry about uh, footfall there. You know, it's if you just yeah. focus your marketing on the people that are going through that centre every day, you're going to be okay. What happened in 2008 then? Did you go back to Eastgate or did you move into a different direction? Yeah, so, no. Um, Fairness, um, Ufflin Construction were great. Yeah. Gave us the site for um, second year. It was uh, it was good, but the site was limited, you know, uh, okay. uh, in terms of what we wanted to, to do. We wanted a bigger event. And um, so we moved to Centre Park Road, which was the site of the Marquee uh, okay. Concerts um, in 2009. Yeah. That year then was a very tough year for us. That was the year the city froze. Oh, that's remember. right. I remember it well. And um, we had serious problems. And then a world-famous soft drink brand decided to run another ice skating rink in Cork that year. So we ended up actually um, giving skates to customers to go skating on the lock oh. or out in the leaf fields. I walked on the lock that year. It was frozen solid. I think it's frozen again since then. But So we had a very, very tough year and we struggled then just to keep our heads above water after that. So that was probably, you know, after the excitement of, you know, gathering the confidence mm. that really uh, to run 2007 and having that and then to have a good event in 2008. I wouldn't say we were making money, but we were living off the buzz of the confidence and, yes. um, you know, we'd probably modest income, you know. And then in 2009-10 with the move to the marquee, we thought this is going to really, you know, be big for us. And it was a disaster, you know. We had to go back to um, creditors and say, look, guys, um, we've had an awful year. And in fairness, most of them worked with us, with us and they gave us a look. Will you be around next year? I said, we will. You know, we're going to keep uh, cool running events going yeah. as a business. We're going to climb out of this because surely this cannot happen again. Yeah. We had an approach then that year um, from Matten Point and they said, um, would you guys be interested in, in uh, moving up to Matten Point? And... Um, we kind of were a bit coy, a bit mm. shy. I said, well, we don't know, you know. Yeah. Um, and eventually we negotiated a deal with Matten Point and Matten was great for us. Then we en- ended up with nine really successful years in Matten Point. Out of Matten Point, we got the uh, courage to um, open up um, other events. So we set up uh, Dundrum and Ice uh, in Dundrum Town Centre with, uh, with, with a partner. And then we worked and we set up events in the uh, in the RDS. You know, they were all successful yeah. to uh, one point or another. Yeah. But the real baby for us all the time was like Cork and Ice. I mean, I sold tickets, had my hands in the ice at three o'clock in the morning, yeah. um, wrote all the content for the website. Our call centre was our sitting room at home. Myself and my wife answering yeah. the phone, uh, dealing with taking reviews personally, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah. that you do when it's your own business. Yeah. Because we're very much a family business. My daughter's uh, involved, my son's um, working down there since he was seven or eight years of age, shoveling snow. They've all grown up in it. My daughter, who Louise, who's the operations director now for Cool Running Events, sharpening ice skates in North Main Street at like 14 years of age. Yeah. The business has given us everything that we have, right? Yeah. Uh, relationships. Um, whatever we have, we owe it to yes. the business. And I suppose it's the unrelenting faith of the customers every year who come back you know, somebody told me after, I think, the second year, that was great. Can it? No. Because, like, you never, it'll yeah. never be as good yeah. as this again. Yeah. And um, it's just gotten better and better, you know, every year. Other than, of course, the uh, COVID, COVID year. Yeah. Um, you know, no ice skating. Yeah, but, like, people were dying in hospitals, right? So yeah. the overall scheme of things, it, it didn't matter. But as a small family business, it was tough for us. But it was tough for lots of small family businesses that year. But we're still here. When you went to Man Point in 2011, I mean, when we're talking a difference in numbers, was there a huge difference in terms of, I suppose, ticket sales as a result of, I suppose, it was a complementary product to what they had? Yeah, I suppose ice rinks in shopping centres act as um, like an anchor attraction mm. at times of, you know, when retail is very competitive, which is yeah. like the last quarter of the year. I think Man was very good for us. And I think equally we were very good for Man because it brought people to the centre from all over the region. And um, those people that are coming for the ice skating inevitably will go to the retail attractions as well. And they'll go to the food attractions. So it like really lifted everyone in the centre in terms of all the businesses benefited in some way, some more than others. And ice skating at Christmas time. It's kind of pretty much a regular calendar feature um, all over the world, you know. And would you do a bit of a busman's holiday and go off to the UK, have a look at what they're doing, 
Did you ever do that? Absolutely. I've been to all over Europe. Yes. Um, I've been to all the major ice rinks in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, so we're always, I mean, we were the first to introduce, for example, in in Ireland, um, uh, mechanical resurfacing. So so what that means is that every customer that comes in, irrespective of the time of day, is presented with clean ice. Okay. You know, so that's a Zamboni. People may know what a Zamboni is. They might have heard it. Um, And it goes on to the ice between every ice skating session, cleans it, puts down new water, and that's frozen before the new people go on for the next session. So that means that if you, doesn't matter what time of the day you come at, you're getting the same product yeah. because we're selling the ice skating experience. That should be the same for everyone. What happens in a lot of rinks is that you come in at nine o'clock, you get in, or 10 o'clock in the morning, you get great ice. But by three o'clock in the afternoon, that ice is just not skatable. So, you know, that was a big investment at the time. You know, one of these machines can be, mm. you know, 50 or 60,000 euros. And um, what drove us, we wanted to deliver as good a product as we ca- as we could for the customers. The customers are coming to us, giving us their their money, their hard earned money, and they're entitled to the best product that we can possibly give them. And th- and that's what drove that, you know. And in fact, I also drove. I also got great fun of driving the, uh, the Zamboni myself. How do you keep it cool? Because I've always wondered that. You know, like you look at these ice rinks, and mm. I'm kind of thinking it's in a marquee. Yeah. You know, it's not in a purpose built building for it. Like there must be. A lot of engineering kind of goes into the background. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of um, lot of tech. So think underfloor heating system. Yeah. So an ice rink basically is like an underfloor heating system with all these connected pipes. So we the system is filled with uh, with glycol, which is antifreeze. Okay. And that's connected to a, a fridge, a compressor basically, and the temperature is brought down and gradually you layer in the water and you bring up the ice to a depth of about four inches and all going well. Don't have any mechanical breakdowns. You don't run, run out of fuel. Yeah. Um, you don't get 18 or 19 degrees temperature which uh, and, and 200 people on the ice at the same time. These are the challenges, but these are the things that we've learned to manage then over the years. Am I right in saying then you had a success in, in Mahan and then I remember, because I was in Fort at the time, I remember we had a really bad summer in 2012 and <laughs> the following year, I can see you laughing already. <clears throat> I could see it was a brilliant idea. You came up with this thing. How do we entertain people in the summer if it's mm. raining? Yeah. And he created an event called Summer Bay in 2013. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah Am I right yeah. in saying you did? We did. Come here, it was a great event, right? It was Ireland, Summer Bay, Ireland's first indoor beach adventure. Yes. Coming at you. And um, so we built the same marquee that you'd have the uh, the ice skating in. Yeah. And then we put like beach volleyball in. Yeah. We put um, zip lines in. Yeah. We put water orbs in. And um, it was a great event. And um, we never thought, like, who are we... Who are we aiming this at? Yeah. What's the message? And we kind of completely kind of lost that in the excitement of building Ireland's first indoor beach adventure. And then we got Heath Braxton. Is he still a person, right? Yeah, from Home and Away. Home and Away, it? right? Yeah. So yeah. he came and he launched it. Yeah. And like he made more money there selling photographs for a tenor, right? Than like we did if we'd been there for four years. Uh, like there was must have been like 2,000 people yeah. queuing to meet him. But at the same time as they were queuing to meet Heath, Temperatures were getting up around about 35, 36 degrees in the marquee. And the great thing about Cork, right, is that real beaches are really close to us. Yeah. So, like, why would you go to pay to go to the indoor beach when, like, you can go to Myrtleville or Fountainstown or Gary Vaux down the road? And that's kind of put pay to that. So It was um, phenomenal weather. I remember it at the time. You were talking about five straight weeks of sunshine every day. It was like living in Spain for five weeks. Absolutely glorious. The reaction from the kids that went to the event was fantastic. And the parents who saw their kids having great fun, like it was a really nice thing, but we lost a fortune on that one. And we haven't been encouraged to go back to the uh, revisit Ireland's greatest indoor beach adventure since. You stick to the winter in many ways for those ty- for, for those indoor <clears throat> type of events. Well, yeah, like around about the same time, then, like, you know, the Nightmare Realm, you've yes. heard of the Nightmare Realm, right? So like, I would be passing uh, the quay down there by old navigation yeah. house, navigation square as yeah. it is now. And I'd see like these hundreds of kids yeah. queuing up to go into this like derelict building. And then I'd hear my own kids saying, we were at the Nightmare Realm, it's like, it's fantastic. So um, I started uh, courting the, the the guys in the nightmare realm. I said, look, lads, this is a great business. And like, I had no idea about numbers or anything. I just yeah. was looking at people's faces and they were so excited. I said, this is fantastic. So I managed to persuade them anyway to um, take a bit of money from us that time. And uh, we ended up going on a great five years with the nightmare realm. You brought it to Dublin as well, <clears throat> didn't you, at the time? We brought it to Dublin and 
I remember we launched it in Henrietta Street. We planted all the, the, the ghouls, right, and the creatures in various places um, in this old kind of semi-derelict, yeah. like four-story uh, tenement building that you can actually see in your mind. And we um, brought in all of the Dublin media and the radio and the press, and we gave them, like, the glasses of champagne and ghoulish drinks and all the rest of it. And then all of a sudden, Carl um, O'Connor, who's, like, the creator yeah. of the Nightmare, all of a sudden he's giving a, sp- a speech, and the next thing, like, PA goes out. All the lights go down and the next thing, the ghouls emerge from every press and hidden crevice in the building and the screams were just amazing to behold. And I remember looking out and uh, Henrietta Street um, and seeing like a young lad on a pony and I was saying, just, you know, things just don't get any more surreal than this. It was just extraordinary. (laughs) And uh, so the Nightmare Round went on to be a huge success in uh, in Dublin and in fact went on then to win global awards Whoa. as a scare event so like European Scare House Award Unilad Best Scare in the World Ahead of Day of the Dead in, 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 in Mexico City a uh, fantastic event that's probably if anything a bit subcultural but like yeah. uh, amongst the its target audience it's legendary there was a publicity stunt at the time did they go into a school or something do I remember there was I remember it caused a lot of Publicity people didn't realise they were actors or something like that. Yeah, you're um, you've done done your research there very well. So, like, what happened was so very shall we say expensive private school in South Dublin. Okay, shall remain nameless. Okay, so um, we sent uh, Charlie Chop in. In fact, we didn't send him in. He went in completely honestly, Steve. He went in on his own, his own own volition, right? And um, started um, engaging with the students, and of course, the students were um, engaging back. One of the principals or one of the teachers saw what was going on and thought that maybe the clown was a bit too sinister. There's a lot of clown stuff going on in the world at the time. That's right, yeah. And um, the uh, clown was ordered off the premises. So we engaged in various correspondence with the um, with the school, and uh, I think it culminated in look, we're just sent up a bunch of clowns from Cork. Like, what's your yeah. problem? You know, yeah. and uh, the school didn't like it. And, um, the correspondence ceased soon afterwards under threats of legal intervention. So we. <laughs> made our getaway the publicity probably though generated as they say there's no such thing as bad publicity the publicity was just every yeah. publication jumped in it we yeah. ended up on radio Carl ended up being interviewed on um, Dahi's show on RTE and Charlie Chop was interviewed but in silhouette because yes. it was deemed too scary for daytime TV yeah. it was a hoot so that was a nice build up because you're, you're Halloween and then of course the ice skating is very associated with Christmas yeah you kind of went from one straight into the next yeah I mean, from a logistics point of view, it was challenging because actually the marketing for both those events was running side by side. Okay. So we would end up bringing in a lot of uh, new people, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of customer service, ticket sales, marketing, logistics. So the team would go from, in July, five people mm-hmm. contemplating events. And then we'd, uh, by kind of mid-September, we might have 15 people. And then by the time the events are actually in live mode, we could be up to 200 people and like the Nightmare Realm on, on its own could have 50 actors and like managing 50 actors with all due respect to actors is like managing a bag of cats, right? <laughs> it's not without its challenges but the fun in the Nightmare Realm, the effort by actors and some non-actors to uh, their commitment to the scare is just extraordinary. I'm guessing they were big events and they were these type of things were very new to Ireland as well. It probably coincided with the rise of social media and stuff as well. Did people like to check in at these type of events and take pictures? And No question. Yeah, I mean, um, I suppose Facebook with all its publicity recently, yeah. um, it is responsible for uh, us being able to be very targeted in our marketing. Yeah. So the ability that using social channels gives marketers is the ability to target by geographical area, by age, by demographic. And it just means that for a small business, instead of a a scattergun approach to marketing, it means that we can be very precise so we can focus, they target the budgets. And I suppose the big thing always in in any business is the return on your your investment. So you can really monitor the return on your marketing investment. Mm. And that's very important in terms of how you spend it, where you spend it, whereas previous to that, you would probably engage with a firm who would come up with a marketing plan for yeah. you and it's look, it involves mixed media, bit of radio, uh, billboards, outdoor mm. 48 sheet um, and it's all good and it, all fantastic for awareness but you can't necessarily monitor that unless it's true ticket sales at the door but social media using tracking cookies allows us to track 
the uh, sale from the original point of interaction when yeah. somebody clicks on an ad right through to a booking on your website. So that means that we've got a budget for uh, digital marketing. It means that we can uh, take that budget, segment it into b- where we believe that the uh, best channels will give us the best return. For example, a few years ago, Instagram wasn't really on the horizon. Yeah. It is very much now. TikTok wasn't on the horizon. We've recruited somebody this year who's an expert in TikTok. It's constantly changing, but it does. You're absolutely right. You can go in marketing now like a sniper yeah. as opposed to going in like, like a tank. And know? that probably helped you in Dublin as well because it's a different audience, much bigger population. So harder to yeah. define an audience up there. Absolutely, uh, it is. And I mean, what do you do with outdoor advertising in Dublin? Yeah. I mean, it will take up all of your budget yeah. and the rest just in D4. But the audience that we needed to reach was much like wider. all over, much wider, you know. So probably marketing has become much more of a science now yes. than an art, you know, um, in terms of how you um, use your budget effectively and then really the uh, ability to measure the return on your investment. I think that's the key and, thing for us. And are you still using traditional media as well or yeah. have you pulled back from it? We've certainly, I suppose, if we look back 10 years ago, you'd say that the mix might have been 80, 20 in favour of traditional media and digital, and digital right? Yeah. And now it's probably gone the other way. It's okay. probably uh, 20 traditional, maybe 30 traditional. Yeah. Um, and, and 70 to 80 digital. Um, so, yeah, it has changed drastically. As certain things disappeared. So, for example, would print be a lot less than, than back then? Because I'd sure, imagine you yeah. were on front pages of free papers and things like that back yeah. then. Yeah, not alone that, but like every year when we started the ice, I would get probably 2,000 posters printed and I'd okay. go around the county and the province myself. I'd stick those up, right? I haven't done that for a long time. That, that's gone. Certainly flyers are gone. Okay. You know, we'd have yeah. teams of people in town on Saturdays distributing yeah. flyers. That doesn't oh. happen anymore. Like that's now your flyer now is your phone, you know? Yeah. So it's changed drastically um, but like I think presence is still important yeah. brand awareness is still Probably, important yeah. so from kind of an ambient perspective when you're walking the messages you take in that you don't even know when you're around mm. you know that still plays a part so I think it's important uh, still to have your brand out there to have it seen um, and then maybe uh, giving a call to action message to drive people to your digital platforms So it's interesting you say that because I was thinking you know, radio is very good for brand awareness yeah. in, in many ways because you kind of take it in and sometimes you're not really listening, but, you know, you're taking in these messages. And I was driving the car last week and I heard uh, somebody yodeling or something to that effect. And I was saying, what is this about? So I said, there's obviously a tease campaign for something here. And I kind of had a feeling, I kind of had a feeling that it was something to do with the winter anyway. It wasn't a summer type of thing. And then I heard a continuation of this ad I was listening to Red FM and I actually was Dave Mack was on at the time and he says, ah, that's what the yodeling was for last week. So he was obviously thinking the same thing as me. Mm. And it was for a, a brand new attraction this winter, yeah. Alpine, kind of ski trail, is it? Alpine ski trail in Bota House and Gardens, Whoa. November um, until mid-January. It's probably going to be the first set out skating event we've ever had because we launched it last week with yodeling. Yeah. Um, thankfully, uh, the brief was make it really annoying for people. Yeah. Right. And the yodel probably really annoyed some people, you know, Uh, but you you hear it, the essence of marketing, be memorable. And um, so we launched it last week. We've just been inundated at the response from people. So basically what we have is we've got a 450 metre track around the gardens and the the woods in Fota. It's about four metres wide. And on that track will be an ice path and it'll wind its way through the forest. And as it's winding its way through, We've got a great guy uh, to do uh, illuminations. We'll call them the photo illuminations. So the whole forest is going to be lit. Then we'll have seasonal food vendors there. um, And we have a little kids rink as well uh, for for beginners. And we're really excited. And we've got the team in who uh, have done this all over Europe. Austrian company that we're very close to. And um, we figured that this year, if ever we were were going to change and do something different, this was the year to do it. We're driven, we want to innovate. Yeah. It's something different and we don't want people to think that this is in a tent. It's in the trees. The trees provide a canopy and then where the trees don't provide a canopy, we've got some cover. But it's essentially, it's an all-weather event and we wanted to dissuade people of the notion that it's Cork and Ice. Yeah. It's a different type of event. And I think Cork and Ice probably had its most successful year ever in 2019, 2020 after moving from Maham. Whoa. 
I believe, I've come to believe now as a result of that, that the time to change is maybe when you're successful. Yes. You know, and there's still an audience there. And as you said, coming out of COVID. So we had a Christmas yeah. last year. There was no ice skating, no pantos. There was no. very few Santa Clauses. People are probably hungry for something this Christmas. Absolutely. No, Santa still came. Yes. Fairness to him. I mean, yeah. he wasn't put off by COVID. And yeah. uh, you have to admire that about yeah. the man. But there was no ice skating. Yeah. Um, and there was lots of things that didn't happen. And I, I think people missed that. And I think what people missed most of all was people coming home. I and mean, we yeah. see the, the biggest two weeks for us are the... Christmas holidays from the right. 26th until when the kids go back to school. And what I've noticed over the years, that's when families are together. And none of that happened, happened. last year. No. So I think this year will be exuberant yeah. because we're all going to feel, do you know what? I really value what we have at Christmas time. So I think this year is going to be really, really special. And what we want to do with, with the Alpine Skate Trail is make it as special as we can for people. Yeah. The weather is always a challenge, right? Yes. So it's an outdoor event. So what we've done, if... There's a meteorian weather warning, for example, yeah. and you don't want to come ice skating, but we're still open. We'll yeah. change your ticket. Oh, very good. Just ring us, yeah. right? We'll change it. We have your money. Yeah. So we want you to experience it, yeah. but we want you to experience it on your terms. And people have been just fantastic. They've shown great faith in us. I mean, we've um, overwhelmed. How long will it run for? We're scheduled to run until mid-January, depending on the weather. If we find that there's a lot of people who've maybe booked who haven't got to use mm. their tickets because of, of weather, we'll keep it open until everybody who wants to skate yes. has skated, you know. Yeah. Will the rain affect it? Not the way we've got it set up. The ice will be ready. Yeah. The ice will be skatable no matter what. But there might be times that people won't want to come and look, we're going to be relaxed about that. This is the year to be relaxed. You've opened that question up nicely for me now because you were known as a kind of seasonal event. So I suppose Nightmare yeah. Realm, Cork and Ice, yeah. Blanchestown, yeah. Dundrum. Summer. And the summer, the summer <laughs> yeah. bay. But look, we, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll park, park, that. We'll park yeah. that a bit. Yeah. But now you're going for uh, something completely different. Well, not completely different, still in the event business, but it's kind of most of the year anyway, if not all yeah. the year. Yeah. You've acquired uh, Zip It. We met a couple of guys who have this great business yes. and we kind of hatched a deal between us. Yes. Other people put the word acquisition on it. It yeah, sounds great. It sounds good. Yeah. It actually makes me feel like kind of a tycoon. So that's what actually happened. I met the guys, the guys of this fantastic business called Zip It. Yeah. And it's um, high ropes adventures in the trees of Quilcha forests around Ireland. Yeah. Okay. There's one in Farren Park. There is, Some yeah. people might have experienced it. It's a very challenging thing to do, right? I mean, um, you're up, right up there in the trees. Yeah. Wind is blowing. It's challenging. And um, we started a process of uh, trying to do a deal with the lads, right? We dropped the corporate language probably a year and a half ago. Yeah. And uh, buying the three Zipit locations, the business is established for 10 years. And uh, this comes from our need to develop from a seasonal business to a year-round business. Because one of the challenges we had, we were encountering fantastic people. Yeah. Hiring them for six months. And then to leaving these people go, right? And yeah. I was kind of thinking, like, we've got to find a way. And I, was, I suppose Summer, Summer Bay, in some sense, Stephen, was a manifestation of that, trying yeah. to build an, a, a year-round sustainable yeah. business. And we've looked at several things over the years that might have maybe ticked the box, but didn't quite, you know. Yeah. But Zip it ticked every box for us. Um, great team, over 50 people across the three locations. Sustainable, outdoors, and peak period in the summertime, polar opposite yes. to our winter business. So we um, started chatting to the lads, two great guys with great staff, and that was a family business as well. And um, then those kind of, we were all kind of gung-ho for it. And then COVID hit. Yeah. Like we were racked with uncertainty. I mean, there was a time, if you remember, back in probably March 2020, when nobody knew no. what was going to happen to business mm. To our lives, we were looking at Italy, if you remember, the, the TV. Yeah, it was, uh, from, and like, it was frightening. And it was like, it was kind of, it's real serious, right? I mean, yeah. we weren't worried about, we weren't worried about business. We no. were worried about. Whether we'd survive it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, looking back now, in the wake and the, with the, the vaccine and. Yeah. It seems like surreal. You it know, does, yeah. It me. seems like we've be, lived through some sort of Hollywood blockbuster yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. So we were racked with uncertainty when all that was going on and I was chatting to the guys and I said, look, lads, I just can't see how we can how we can go ahead with this under these circumstances and we want to do a deal that's fair to everyone yeah. and you guys need to be able to retire partially out of this and like right, no, no business is trading. Everybody is shut down. So will we leave it for a while? Then we left it for a while and then there was a little improvement in things. But finally, after a protracted process, we completed 
the purchase of, of the business in uh, early August 2021. It's just been nonstop since. Um, so we're running both businesses now alongside each other, working to bring them together. Yeah. And um, we're hugely excited. We'll open another Zippet Park uh, next year. And um, we've got fantastic plans for it. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a really lovely business. Was it a big acquisition that way? Like, like I mean, is it a risk? Like, um, or did you feel it was a risk? Or The thing about it is, if you, either, if you believe in something, yes. right, I never saw the risk. Yeah. Everybody around me sees the risk. Okay. I only see, I'm only focused, right? Opportunity. I see opportunity. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. So, mm-hmm. like, it kept me probably focused on trying to do the deal yeah. throughout all of the kind of COVID year, that 2020. and But I was racked with uncertainty at times mm. and, you know, having, I suppose, the feeling that you're doing the right thing because it goes back to the mother-in-law investment. If it yeah. goes wrong... What do we do here? Like, yeah. we're not such a big company that we can afford mm. to... Um, to just withstand it or bat it off as a bad investment. I mean, it, it was a serious investment for us, you know. Yeah. And like, of course, like the banks ran for cover, you know, yeah. um, in terms of the, the COVID schemes and stuff like that. So we yeah. got some support there, but it was hard to fund it. But yeah. um, with the benefit of um, of a private investor who was like very farsighted and a little bit of assistance from um, from Ulster Bank, um, we got it over the line and, and input from ourselves. Uh, the business is just... Flying. I mean, it's winding down its season yeah. now, you know, just yeah. as we're winding up the ice season, zip it is, uh, is winding down um, for the year. But like yeah. its season will get going. It's going to trade right up until November. Um, but obviously fewer visits, you yes. know. Yeah. yeah. That really now gives us a sustainable all year round business. And I suppose we're really now in the experience business is what I feel. Yeah. We're selling experiences to people and experiences, especially during COVID and when people are reflecting, life is about experiences. It you is. Know? Life is for living, as they yeah, say. Yeah. yeah. And um, so we're really going to focus on improving it where there's room for improvement, adding to it where there's uh, room to add, opening up new parks in terms of the number of people required to attend to make it viable is far less than it would be with the ice rinks. Yeah. I mean, the ice rinks complete temporary infrastructure. So it's there in, in, in November, it's gone in January mm. and you bring it back the following year, the cost of that. Are, high are, volume over a short period of time is... Exactly. But then like with, with high volume, um, high cost. Yes. You know, I mean, you really can't afford to be shut down for a month in the ice rinks, you know. Um, no, we've been at it a long time. So we, I suppose we kind of know what we're about to a certain extent or at least so somebody does, right? And was that the first time you brought like, a private investor from outside the family to come into the business? Yeah. 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 He's a, a, shall we say, an enlightened individual. Yes. Um, Realised what we were at. Yeah. Uh, understood the challenges we faced as a family business okay. in terms of making ourselves, you know, mm. ourselves uh, 12 months sustainable. Um, trying to bring in uh, sustainable jobs for people on an all-year-own basis was yeah. big. I mean, Zip had uh, laid off half their staff in the wintertime. So we're hoping that, you Can know... Can you transfer the people across? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That, so, like, instead of having, you know two businesses with teams of temporary staff. Yeah. Well, we've got two businesses under one umbrella, but with a full-time permanent staff. And that's, I suppose, for me to, you know, be able to create sustainable employment, yeah. well-paid in sectors that traditionally are not well-paid. Um, so we've got like uh, kids coming out of college um, with uh, leisure and hospitality qualifications who want to pursue careers in the outdoors. Yeah. That wasn't an option yeah. for a lot of them. Yeah. And we want to offer those options. In fact, so much so that we're probably going to, we're looking at the feasibility of setting up a training center for Cork for, for zip lines that would Brilliant. be European accre- accredited. That's going to bring jobs, it's going to bring opportunities, but it means that we can look at offering careers to people. Yeah. So when you say the hospitality sector, I'd imagine there's strong links so as well with hotels and stuff because you're bringing people to areas. Yeah. If something drives room sales, yeah, they're going to want to partner with us and yes. we would want to partner with them. You know, transport links, you know, events are proven drivers of economic benefit. Yeah. And for a, a city like Cork, like when Cork is brilliantly set up for events, you know. It is, yeah. Um, and we should be having more events in the city and a bit more facilitating of events maybe in certain circles I think would be would be welcome and uh, we could have a vibrant uh, emerging event sector that would like just like drive those bums and seats we're talking about and whether it's in taxis restaurants pubs hotels a lot of those people probably need the funds as well after a very 
tough 12 to 18 months as well. Really tough for people and I think um, we're lucky in, in, in so far as the, um, I have to say that the CRSS scheme, the yeah. EWSS, yeah. that kept the hospitality and the event sector on life support. Yeah. Didn't give us any, uh, didn't put, uh, you know, fine dining on the table, but it kept us ticking over. Kept you going. And I realised there were people excluded from that. Yeah. Um, but that was a that was a help and I kind of, I think it's important to acknowledge. Yeah. Like, um, do you know, it makes me more enthusiastic about kind of paying my taxes, right? Yeah, yeah. Cause because in a time of need, yeah. you know, um, somebody stepped in, government stepped in. Help. And so, look, I'm not a card carrying member of any party, but like uh, credit where credit is due on that one. One thing I forgot to ask you, Bill, in relation to um, Zipit, uh, insurance. It's a big issue, I would imagine, is it? That's a great question, actually. I'm glad you brought it up. And I'd imagine for Cork on Ice and, and, you know. Yeah, insurance is the death knell of the adventure tourism industry in Ireland, right? Uh, If we don't get to grips with it, Mm. it's going to close businesses. No, I suppose... Between Zipit and Cork and Ice, uh, we're probably looking at an insurance premium in the region of half a million euros Whoa. every year. And that's with a substantial excess. Yeah. No, that's not driven by claims. You could count on the fingers of one hand the number of incidents, incidents. that Cork and Ice would yeah. have because people realise they take the risk themselves. Yeah. But the, the issue is around the costs of all these. I mean, we had, we, we had a case recently where, you know, the award was 65,000 euros. The costs were nearly half a million. Crazy. Divided between two sets of um, legal teams. Yeah. Plaintiff and, and defence. So it's driving small businesses out of business. And a lot of them have closed, day. haven't they? A lot of them have closed. I mean, we came across one, a zipline business last week and, and we had a brief look at it. And that business um, witnessed a fourfold increase in their insurance premium. Um, but I don't know what the solution is. I think there has to be government intervention at yeah. some level because we have got Voyager Ireland doing a fantastic job of selling Ireland. But what if there's nothing here when people come? Yeah. You know, I was up in Lockheed Forest Park today. It's a beautiful place in Roscommon. Mm. And we're talking about putting in uh, Ireland's biggest zip line that's going to run right over Lockheed Forest Park. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's a great idea. and We can do it. But you know what? We might be able to insure it. Yeah. And I've heard of businesses who've never had a claim going out of business because the insurance is unsustainable. That's crazy. Stephen, there's been talk about this for years. Yeah, Everybody knows yeah. what's going on. Peter Boland on the uh, on the Alliance for Insurance Reform has done fantastic work in highlighting this mm. and pushing it. And we've got the Judicial Reform Act. But the reality is that the insurance companies, for the most part, and no, they have to be in it to, to, to make money, they're pricing mm. the premiums at a level that is just unaffordable, unsustainable, because what they've got to pay out is unsustainable as well. And so guessing that's a huge barrier to entry for anyone that wanted to set up in that industry as well. Yeah, but what it's doing is it, in terms of the breadth of what we offer in Ireland, yes. adventures for your kids, yeah. playgrounds for your kids, yeah. uh, high ropes adventures, right, mm-hmm. which these adrenaline inducing attractions that are formative, important for, for kids and for adults. Yeah. You take that out, what are we left with? There's going to be a big clear out this year in terms of businesses that just have decided I can't do this anymore because I'm working for the insurance company premium. I'm working for the premium. But I think it's too late to save a lot of businesses in the adventure tourism sector. Um, I'm not seeing any tangible action because my premium has nearly doubled this year in terms of the ice rinks. So where do you lay the blame for it? Without things to do, we won't have any tourists. No. You'd think we didn't have any tourists in the country this year, but we we all became the audience. We we were all the tourists this year. And you're going around the country, you're kayaking, you're glamping, yes. you're on zip lines, you're in skate parks, mm. you're in adventure centres. They're all gone. The money will flow the country. They'll go to Spain, they'll go to wherever, the they UK will. or wherever it is. Or you know what? Maybe people like me will just go and invest in passive investments. Yes. You know, I don't want to do that. No. I want to make my money out of giving people experiences. Yeah. But like right now, we're in a situation where it's becoming bordering on impossible. Um, so like if there's anybody listening to this um, in terms of who can influence mm. what's happening here from a government level, I'm telling you, to cry for help for the adventure tourism industry. It's dying. Going back to that one in Wicklow that we see in close, I think they went from, t- you know, 20,000 to 80,000 in premium. Would that make you no question your decision to purchase Zipit? No, because we've faced spiralling insurance premiums before, before yeah. you know, in the ice rink, we've gone from, you know, let's say we call it notionally a, a 20,000 insurance premium to 
God knows what it'll be this year, right? Yeah. But in fact, many multiples of that. Um, so we're good risk managers. Yeah. Um, uh, or when an insurance case goes to court, all control is lost. Yeah. The legal costs spiral out of it. And the only people that are really benefiting from this are the people who are eating from that trough. Yes. Right? It's not the claimants mm. because a claimant might have one claim ever in their lives. Yeah. You know, with the odd exception, you know, but they're exceptions. It's the system that um, uh, ensures that this uh, crazy situation about spurious claims, and we're talking largely about spurious claims mm. and unsustainable awards. Yeah. Uh, and outrageous costs. That's what we're talking about. And who do you think benefits from that? Yeah. You know, like it goes around to the old thing, like, do, do, you know, would you ever get turkeys to vote for Christmas? Right? Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And unless somebody takes this and has the courage to realize what's happening and the loss at a societal level yeah. and takes it seriously, instead of just paying lip service to it, and there's a lot of paying lip service to it, you can hear, I'm passionate about yes. this. I've spoken at events about it. We couldn't, manage our business as more carefully than we do in terms of the risk management. But yeah. you, can't pe- you can't keep people upright on an ice rink, for God's sake. No, no. You know, people will fall. Yeah. Like we tell people, look, you're going to fall. 99.9% of people get it and we look after them as best we can. And usually a bit of sympathy and a nice pack takes care of everything. And a lot of these claims are right. You know, yeah. they're, they're correct. But the, the, the issue is the awards and the costs. The costs are nearly way too big for the award. It's just unsustainable. Yeah. It's just absolutely unsustainable. And even saying unsustainable is not enough anymore. Yeah. It's terminal. So there won't be playgrounds. There won't be adventure centres. There won't be zip wires. There won't be ice rinks. In fact, we kind of feel this year that there could be two ice rinks in Ireland. Yeah. Us and one other, and, and, uh, or two ice rinks. That That's could it. very well be it. The 15 or 16 that have happened every other year, Unlikely to happen. Yeah, that's the way it looks at the moment. Will that be the final acquisition for cool running events or will you, will you kind of look for other businesses in the next couple of years? Um, well, do you know, I'm kind of firm believer in like plans are made to be ripped up, right? Yeah. Um, so we've got a plan now for the next year and that we'll probably, uh, which is bidding in Zip It. Yeah. We, we're opening um, in a, a new park next year. Uh, we will probably look at doing another Alpine Skate Trail in Dublin next year. We want to grow the one in Cork. In fact, we'd love to grow the one in Fota to the best event of its type in, yeah. in Ireland or the UK. Uh, so that's the short-term plan. The long-term plan, maybe pursuing something completely different. Okay. You know. Um, away from the events business, away from... Yeah, away, yeah. yeah. I have an idea what that's going to be, um, but I don't think we have enough time to talk about it now. Yeah. And I think what I, you know, so really encouraging of the, the talent that we have in the business yeah. now. And we spoke about a former pupil of yours. Um, yeah, uh, Lucas. Lucas. And um, like he's a digital marketing manager for Cool Running Events. And we just kind of uh, gave him his head this year yeah. and uh, said, come to us with a plan. He's come to us with a plan. Like he's just been fantastic. So what, what I'm talking about, like I want to encourage the staff that we have to innovate, be comfortable in your own ability to make yeah. a decision. You're going to make mistakes. We all do. Yes. God knows I've made plenty over yeah. the years. You know, um, if I had my time over again, would I change any of it? No, because I'm sitting in front of you now having yeah. made all those mistakes. Yeah. So I've changed nothing. So over the last two episodes, I've asked people for uh, two pieces of advice or tips. Um, so I have two questions. The first question, what tip would you give another business starting off or even established Stick with what you're good at. Commit to your product or service and be the best you can be. The money will take care of itself. And give it time? Give it time. Don't underestimate working capital. Don't confuse turnover with profit. Yes, and some people do, don't they? Hey, I did. Yeah. The only reason I know is because I did it. Yeah. Success comes after failure in many ways as well. You probably learn. I mean, we're, we were talking about the Summer Bay. We were talking about... We have a funny view about failure in this country, right? Because failing is what makes you stronger. Mm. I've failed loads of times. Yeah. But like it never put me off. Yeah. And where I'm at now, um, I'm still realised that failure is just around the corner. Yeah. You know, and it keeps me focused on the business, keeps me focused on my team. Yeah. Keeps me focused on the customers and what's important. So when when you ask me what tip would I give, focus on what you're good at. So in terms of Bill focusing... The other question I have is, 
what tip would you give an individual? And there's a lot of people, I've looked at some of the stats for the podcast and actually we have two different cohorts. So we have young people, but we have a lot of people in their 40s and 50s listening as well. And I was really interested when you said that person that was sitting in front of the guy at the Golden Pages and you didn't get the job. What advice would you give to somebody right now that's maybe in that kind of zone in their 30s, 40s, 50s, even 60s? Or What advice would you give them? You're never too old to learn. I, I think education is important. If, you, if, if you're young, get something under your belt. Right? Yeah. Now, education is not a college, right? Education yeah. can be skills that you learn through a business, yeah. a trade, yeah. travel, yeah. right? You know, people can learn from that. It's never too late to change. No, listen, no, it's, it's never too late. And I met um, a woman uh, last week who was 78 years of age mm. and she only took up travelling in her 60s Whoa. after her husband died and at 65 she went backpacking in South America and stayed in hostels amazing and went on to visit Antarctica um, and she was all over the world and like I had a 10 minute conversation with this woman yeah. I never met her in my life yeah. and we got into this uh, this conversation I said you are a complete inspiration Yeah, at 65 yeah. you went and and I was just I was in awe so if somebody if a woman can go and go backpacking in South America at in 65, like, I mean, Pablo yeah. Escobar was probably around at the time. Yeah. Right? There's all sorts of dangers. But if you can do that at 65, well, you can do anything at 44. You can, yeah. You know, and yeah. imagine what you can do at 25. Yeah. You can do anything. Yeah, so those, even those young students that are listening now, even if they're coming out of college and thinking, I don't really like what I'm doing, or, you know, it's never too late. Like, take your career in chunks, you mm-hmm. know. Look at maybe five year, um, five year cycles. Do something for five years. It has got to float your boat. Yeah. And then the other thing, like the last thing, right? What I just would say, you do your best work outside your comfort zone. Yes. You know, push yourself to get outside your comfort zone because that's where the learning is. That's where you're nervous, and that's what gives you the tingling in your in your belly. And the Alpine Skate Trail is giving me a little bit outside my comfort zone. We've never done it before. You're worried, you but know? at the same time, it builds excitement. Builds excitement. And don't be afraid to ask the mother-in-law for a few quid either, I suppose. Yeah, but always pay her back. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, it's been excellent. Um, really enjoyed it. And best of luck with both the Alpine and also Zip It. Looking forward to seeing them all over the next couple of months. Thanks, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. It really has. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 24 Stories podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at 24 Stories Tribe. I'll be back next week with a brand new guest. 